The reading is uh, from Revelation chapter 4 on page 1236 in the Church Bibles. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre round the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all round even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Thank you very much, Fred. As we, we try to understand the, the, the way in which it's written, it can be a bit confusing. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to try and help us uh, understand how we're supposed to understand Revelation, some of the things going on. And, and today I want to think a little bit about how Revelation uses animals. Now, uh, this isn't uh, unfamiliar to us. Okay, so uh, I'm going to do a little quiz. Okay, do you know which country, 
okay, uh, is the national animal. I'm going to show you an animal, see what it is. Now, start, start off, I'm uh, going to do a slightly easier one. You might get this. Are you ready? And some of you are looking a bit nervous. You'll be fine. Okay. See, I told you it was easy. Uh, okay. Uh, the lion. Oh, go on. Oh, go on. Thanks, Grim. That is correct. Uh, it's also the national animal of the United Kingdom, not just England. So, uh, hence why we have our three lions on our shirts. You know, it's, it's our national animal. Um, but it's also the national animal of uh, uh, Ethiopia, Gambia, Kenya, Libya, Morocco, Sierra Leone, Togo, uh, among others. Uh, I think there's about 15 to 20. I'm not even sure that anyone can count them all. It's a popular animal because the lion represents something. It's the king of the beasts. And so countries want to be associated with the lion like we do. Uh, what about, here's, one, here's another one. Ooh, I've given you a little bit of a clue, okay, from that one. Ooh, uh, the national animal or someone over there, uh, Monty, I'll come back to you. If, if, if the rest of them are clueless and don't know, I'll, ooh, ooh, ooh. Do you know? Go, go on, Ben. Russia, thank you. Uh, the Russian bear, that's right, because uh, of its strength. Uh, here's another one. See, it doesn't have to be real animals. Uh, now, okay, it have to be this, uh, someone... Uh, a few sad, uh, sad folk around today uh, thinking that maybe their national animal should not have been fictional but real because it might have helped them. Uh, so, uh, and who do you know that is? Go on. Wales, that's right. Now, uh, the, national, the dragon has been the national animal of Wales for over a thousand years. It, it, it's possibly uh, 1,500 years. It, apparently, it symbolized their power and authority after the Romans withdrew from Britain. There we go, the, the dragon. Uh, here's another one. Ooh, oh, Monty, you know your animals. Go on, do you know? It is America. That's right. Well done. Uh, the bald-headed eagle is the national animal uh, of the United States of America. It, can, it, it, uh, it represents its size, its strength, its speed, its agility, uh, qualities that uh, they wanted to value. Let's keep going. Oh, that's a beaver. Ooh, ooh. The, the, anyone else? Oh, ooh. God. It is Canada. Well done. You, so you know your national animals. Uh, poor beaver, okay. Uh, the beaver is the national animal of Canada because, as far as I can work out, it gave its fur to keep Canada warm. It symbolizes kind of warmth, apparently. There we go. The, the beaver's national animal of Canada. Last one. <laughs> Anybody wants to have a guess? Yeah, it's a ladybird. That's right. It's actually a. That might be a ladybird too. No, uh, a. Uh, it is uh, a not just a ladybird. It is the two-spotted ladybird. Oh, that does that help? No, no, no. Let me tell you. Uh, it is uh, the national animal of Latvia. There we go, the national animal of Latvia, and I have absolutely no idea why. Now, um, look, you see, we, 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 we know, don't we, that animals can symbolize qualities, uh, things that we want to celebrate and say reflects our character or, or something that we value. And so we can associate things with animals. And the book of Revelation does this too. 
Um, but not just Revelation doing this. I've got, here's a picture for you, okay? It's a bit of a strange one. Okay, it's from the front of a magazine. Okay, now, uh, we, you know, that, what, what, what's going on in that picture? It's a strange picture, isn't it? We've got a, an angry bear looking very gruesome with sharp teeth and, a, and an army uh, wearing a red hats. Well, it, it, it tells us, doesn't it? Go on, uh, Monty, what's going on? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is, it's, from, it's fairly recent, it's, it's, I think about a year or so ago. But, um, but the, point, the point of the picture is, that, you know, we describe the picture and there's like a, there's a fierce bear with sharp claws and big teeth and, and an army wearing blue hats and we're kind of thinking, you know, it's all a bit strange. But actually, we, 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 in the picture, it's, it's, a, it's about the relationship between the West and about Russia, isn't it? Because pictures portray things. Oh, here's, a, here's a one that will probably be slightly less familiar. Okay, now, um, here we have a man with a crocodile tail. So that was, that's a bit strange picture, isn't it? A man with a crocodile tail. It's like, w- weird. Okay, but actually, well, it, this is uh, a cartoon of the president of Zimbabwe, Emerson uh, Nwanga. Uh, and he's nicknamed the crocodile. Uh, why? Because in Zimbabwean law, it is famed, the crocodile is famed for its stealth and its ruthlessness. And so kind of drawing, drawing uh, this, the president as, uh, like with a crocodile's tail, the, the cartoon, the picture is saying something about him as a president, isn't it? Uh, maybe there's a, a, a warning there in that cartoon for us, isn't there? Now look, uh, the book of Revelation you know, put, puts together these sorts of pictures and sometimes they can be a bit strange. It's very strange, you know, you know um, a, a man with a, a crocodile's tail. We can think, what on earth is that about? Uh, and Revelation can be a bit like that. So we've had a strange vision of animals in chapter 4 of Revelation, just read to us. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. And the fourth was a flying eagle. And these, uh, these animals represent qualities about God's rule. But it gets weirder, doesn't it? Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. It just sounds strange to us, doesn't it? But we're not meant to kind of, you know, sort of picture it as, a, as like a photograph of an animal, but more like a, a sort of a cartoon that's telling us things. So, so what is this telling us? Well, uh, as Revelation mixes these eyes together, it means that, of course, God... God in his rule, he sees everything. He knows us. Now, why is that important? Well, he's not forgotten or abandoned you. And, and, and these sort of pictures kind of come together to sort of, it's a bit strange, but they tell us things about the character of God and what he's doing, about what's going on in the world. And whilst they might sound a bit unfamiliar, they're not that unfamiliar to us because we do uh, use language in other ways like it. Well, I'm going to pray for us now as we, uh, as we each go to our groups. Our children are going to go to their groups and then we're going to, uh, here in church, uh, hear more from Revelation. But as, um, as, we, as they go, as we, well, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you that uh, yeah, the, the, you do indeed sit on the throne. You are the God uh, who has all power, majesty, splendor, and might. 
Uh, thank you that you uh, know what's going on in your world. You're not removed from it. Please help us to be trusting you in it. And so we pray, Lord, that as we trust you, we would be keen to learn more about you as we hear from your word. Uh, we pray for our children and young people as they go to their groups. Please help them as they read the Bible that they would know more of you, uh, of who you are, and so delight in you all the more. Uh, please encourage us uh, all as we sit under your word to be a people uh, that delights in you. Uh, for we ask this in your name. Amen. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. 
and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Father, as we uh, delve into your word together this morning, please would uh, the Lord Jesus be worthy in our lives. Would he receive the power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise that is rightly due to him? Please uh, open our eyes, our minds, our hearts that we might glory in the Lord Jesus more and more. For we ask this for his name. Amen. Well, uh, so we, uh, as we look at uh, Revelation, we're going to look at quite large chunks uh, in the coming weeks. Okay, so um, one thing to do, if, if, uh, uh, again, if you're going to be here next week, uh, do kind of read ahead in the book of Revelation. Um, because uh, as, we, as we go through, we, 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 the idea is to try to help us piece together what is, what's going on. But, um, but it's helpful if, uh, yeah, you know, if, as, if you're reading it, you've got an idea of what's coming. Because we're going to have to move through some things quite quickly, inevitably. And we're going to be looking at uh, these two chapters uh, today. A uh, lot's to say. Uh, there's an outline uh, on the, the notice sheets that will help you uh, see where we're going uh, this morning. Well, uh, Undoubtedly, uh, as we, we look around the, the, the world at the moment and everything just seems in chaos at the moment. Isn't it, isn't it striking? It wasn't that long ago that the promise of the United Nations of Earth, of growth, of prosperity, of technology that will enhance life, bring about ease, health, unity and rest. That, that has been the great promise, hasn't it? Uh, and yet... How do we account for both personal and world events kind of going on? Well, I want to suggest there are basically four views. Uh, they're listed on the handout. Uh, four views of how you account for what goes on in the world in terms of, uh, uh, you know, it, why, why are these things happening? Why are these things happen? What, what's going on behind that? Uh, and the first view is... is, is is there that basically there's nothing that's in control of them. Um, we live in a world that is just subject to, uh, to, to force of chaos and chance. In other words, there's no rhyme or reason. Uh, some people get sick, others don't. Um, some nations find themselves, well, there's, no, there's no rhyme or reason. We could talk about personal responsibility, but behind that, it's just, there's nothing. There's, you know, there's, there's no point talking about the why because it's just all chance. A second view would take the thing that, well, actually, uh, there is there's a sort of an impersonal force uh, that is in control of everything. So you might hear people saying things like, you know, it, everything happens for a reason or all that sort of stuff. And when you delve into that a bit more, we might start to, uh, people talk about things like fate or the horoscopes and the stars, the alignment of the universe kind of somehow ordering all our events but it's an impersonal force. In other words, it, it doesn't care. It not, you know, it's not that this force isn't thinking, well, that would be good for that person and bad for that person. It just, there's, there's, there's something happening, but um, it doesn't care. 
Or, or thirdly, we might have a view of the world that is uh, uh, of an indifferent God, who is a, a personal God, uh, not a force uh, like fate or, or anything like that, but um, uh, is in control of everything, um, but is indifferent to the, the affairs of, of people, largely. Well, that, that is a, a view of, uh, of Islam um, and, uh, and many other kind of worldviews similar to that. Uh, and in personal, there is there's something that's in control, but this, whatever it's got doesn't really concern itself with the affairs of individuals like us. Or well, fourthly, a loving and pers- personal and purposeful God is in control. And of course, that is the claim of Christianity. And how you view the view diverse, whether one of those four views will determine kind of how you view life and, and everything that goes on in it. So it will determine from education to politics to free time and how you use the internet. How you view the world will affect all of those things. It will view your work and your, the dreams that you pursue. How do you view the world? Well, uh, as we... Uh, uh, delve into uh, Revelation 3 and 4. Uh, thank you if you're just joining us today as we, as we delve in. Um, the, the book of Revelation is seeking to help us answer these kind of questions. Uh, Revelation is uh, to apply the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to us uh, and prepare us for suffering, for hardship, and for trial. Uh, but as well as that, Revelation is also the gospel taught to us. Uh, but in this particular style uh, of what's called apocalyptic literature, uh, it uses these, this vivid imagery, these called, what are called word pictures, these words with symbolic uh, meaning and metaphor uh, that help teach us truths uh, in, a, in, in a kind of a bold and exciting way. Uh, we've seen, haven't we, uh, in chapters 2 and 3, how Christ knows his church. Uh, the, the earthly reality that uh, churches face two threats. There's the, 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 the threat from opposition from outside of the church, especially the pressure to conform to the standards of this world and its values. Uh, and also, at the same time, the, the other pressure the church faces, not from outside the church, but from within the church. Uh, false teaching and hostility uh, which can lead to both unfaithfulness uh, and uh, division. And our our next two uh, chapters uh, are the basis for Christians uh, to keep persevering, to keep going. It's It's a great encouragement in a world where we can face all of these things, the world could seem in chaos. Uh, John tells us Uh, of what he has been given a glimpse of, something that we cannot see unless it is revealed to us. It is the very throne room of heaven. Uh, I used this illustration a few weeks ago, but imagine, you know, there's there's chaos in the, in the, on an airplane in the in the in the ca- in the cabin in the in, you know uh, whatever's kind of going off. But what we really want to know is is what's going on in the cockpit. And it's as though revelation that the, the door is opened for us to see. Uh, and as we see into the cockpit of the universe, uh, there is someone, there is a pilot. He's sat there at the controls. He's not in a panic. He knows what he's doing. And as he does so, 
uh, we can have confidence, confidence that our actions matter, that history is leading somewhere, God is in control of the world, and we need to know that, don't we? Because if God isn't in control, our actions don't matter, then there is no point carrying on in the Christian life. There really isn't. Look, we, 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 you know, we watch the news this week, don't we? And we just think, what a nightmare the world is at the moment. You know, we, we're just trying to process what's going on. And, and it, you know, more than once we can think as we, we see the, the lives of innocent people being uh, caught up in such trauma and, and we, we, we struggle to comprehend it. We fear that things will escalate uh, and, and in the midst of all of that, we're left wondering, you know, God, are, are you, you know, well, what are you doing, Lord? Is God even good at all? Well, uh, 20 years ago um, or so, uh, Helen and I visited uh, Gaza, uh, and we met Christians in Gaza. And, uh, and this week, I've been thinking, you know, are they, are they still alive? We met, ch- we met children uh, there, they'll have, they'll have grown up into adults now, kind of thinking, what's, what's happening to them? Uh, whilst we were in Israel, we met, um, we met people from uh, different parts. You, you wonder, what's, you just think, Lord, have mercy on this situation. But when we say that, is that really, are we really thinking, Lord, Lord, um, are, are you able to do it? What are you doing, Lord. And, and there are times you want to, to know how to pray into those situations. Well, wonderfully, we can have confidence. Confidence because the first readers of Revelation were probably asking similar questions to what we're asking today. Not just on global politics with the, the rise of the Roman Empire and the, the, the threats that that was to Christians of the day, but also in our personal lives. People were being murdered by evil regimes because they were following Jesus Christ in the first century. And, and don't you think that they are asking questions of, Lord, why? Uh, grieving families, trying to comprehend whether, what God was doing. People losing their jobs because they were known as one who followed Jesus, the Messiah. Well, maybe this describes your personal situation at the moment. Well, can I just say... This, uh, these chapters are for our encouragement. And the first thing I want us to see in verse of, uh, 1 to 8 of chapter 4 is that we're to keep going because God has got everything under control. Keep going. Verse 1, After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So Jesus is the one speaking here, and the vision that, the, that this door is opened, and John sees that the throne room of heaven. And what does he see? Uh, what does he see? At the end of verse 2, not an empty throne. Someone is sitting on it. Uh, the Lord God Almighty, not helpless in heaven, not clueless in chaos. No, the Lord God Almighty, he's in control. He's on the throne. And that is a huge encouragement to us that God is engaged with the world for the salvation of the world. God is in complete control 
of his universe. And the thing is, it might not look like it from where we're standing, uh, but after this trip into heaven, we're, we're left without doubts. And at the center of this is the throne of God, verse 3. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, uh, an em- a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold in their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. I know, have, you, have you ever visited the, the crown jewels in the Tower of London? Have you ever, ever, ever had a chance to go there? Uh, I said, but you know, the, it is a, an extraordinary kind of place. It's, uh, you go and visit the crown, and crown jewels and, and they are hard to describe. You know, you, you might consider, for example, the, you know, uh, London brick as beautiful. Okay, uh, you know, that, that, that might be your opinion, but I've never yet seen uh, an engagement ring with London brick on it. Uh, you'd have to be uh, a pretty fanatical for that, wouldn't you? But, but you visit, visit the crown jewels and they are breathtaking. I remember uh, going as a child, um, apart from being distracted by the armed guards and the massive locking door, you know, just seeing all the jewelry, just, just not knowing where to begin. It was so wonderfully lit. Uh, and as it lit, it just, the jewels just radiated. The, the, the colors, the you know, refracted light that bounced off them in, in all their beauty and splendor. And people were just gobsmacked by them. But notice here, it's not the throne that is jewel encrusted a seat of majesty and power and wealth, but the one who is seated on it. Surrounding this indescribable majesty of God is a a rainbow-like emerald, and there around that is is these lesser thrones, 24 elders. uh, I think it's meant to be understood as a a heavenly representative of the 12 Old Testament tribes uh, and the 12 apostles of the church. Together, the, the people of God... And in the center is this throne, and everything revolves around it. And it is the focus and the glory of all that is going on. And God is sitting on it. And that is why, uh, verse 8, the creatures in heaven never stop saying, verse 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is the almighty God. No one will defeat him. No one will outsmart him. No one will take his rule from him. He is sovereign and in control. The Lord Almighty is permanently almighty. Who was and is and is to come. He is almighty. You don't get more permanent than that, do you? And this, this song is sung by these four living creatures, the, the, the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. And here we're taken to Ezekiel chapter 1. Because in Ezekiel 1, uh, the prophet uh, is given a, uh, a, a, a vision of this, this throne of God. It comes to, uh, to Babylon where God's people are held captive in exile. And in the midst of uh, God's people's uncertainty, their sadness... 
uh, here this vision of God who comes to them. Now, I think of a, a dog whistle for a moment. Okay, uh, blow it, and a dog will, a trained dog will respond to it. Uh, of course, the point of a dog whistle is is that it's pitched at a level that humans can't hear. Uh, but the, that doesn't mean that it doesn't work, nor does it mean that the dog doesn't heal. That the sound is real, isn't it? And left to ourselves, left to ourselves, the realities of Revelation 4 we wouldn't see, would we? But that doesn't mean it's not real. Heaven, here it stands for the spiritual world, uh, a real world, the real world, if you like but it's one that needs revealing to us. Now again, remember, a, a persecuted minority of Christians under the Roman rule, as John was. But think now, where, where's Roman rule today? It's in a museum. It got, got defeated by the dragon of Wales or whatever. But the point is, it's, it's in the past, isn't it? It's, it's easily forgotten, isn't it, that day after day, as we live in a world that is, ignores these spiritual realities, we start to act and to think like people who forget that there is a throne in heaven with one seated on it, who's in control, who's almighty, who stands across all time and will bring about his purposes for his people, for his glory. We forget that. So that's the scene. But in chapter 5, the drama is acted out. The drama is acted out. I want to uh, move forward to chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. See here, please, that the church is not going through suffering in vain. The church is not going through suffering in vain. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, uh, in the ancient world, uh, books uh, weren't really used until about the second, uh, sorry, the, maybe the third, third century, that sort of thing. But uh, until then, scrolls were used and, and actually were continued to be used uh, for, for time after that. But uh, scrolls were, were usually made of uh, of papyrus, which is a bit like rhubarb. It, it, it's a, it's a, a thick vegetable-like material, but when you kind of squished it all out and, and flattened it all down and squished it, you could make a parchment out of it. Uh, and then um, uh, you could roll it up with a, a stick on either end to then try to help you manage the roll. But the way in which the parchment was made meant that one side was flat and smooth, but the other side was really quite rough and really difficult to write on. So people rarely wrote on both sides of the scrolls. But this scroll, we're told, was written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. What does that mean? Well, it, therefore, it contains something complete. In other words, it's written on one scroll, yet it's comprehensive on both sides, and yet it contains something that is yet to pass. It is sealed with seven wax seals, and like an ancient will. Uh, once the seals were opened, then and only then would the, the, the will be enacted. Okay. So that helps us understand what is written on this scroll. All God's purposes for judgment 
and for blessing, God's plan of salvation from the cross and the resurrection to the second coming of Christ is contained in this scroll. But the scroll demonstrates a problem, verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, do you see here why this causes John to weep? No one, no one can be found who is worthy to open the seals and of course, this only makes sense because of chapter 4. Why? Because in chapter 4, John is so far removed from God. You know, there's, the, there's this kind of glass sea, there's the, the creatures, there's the thunder, there's the angels, the sevenfold spirits. I've got all that's kind of going on. John's on the outside. Not even the angels are worthy. And there they are casting their crowns before God. Who is worthy? Only he who is able to approach the living, almighty, holy God can take the scroll from the right hand of God, verse 7, and open the seals. And of course, in opening the seals is bringing to pass God's purposes. And no angelic being, no human being dead or living can be found. And in the drama of the vision, not opening the scroll means that God's purposes will not go, come to pass. In other words, it's all pointless. Injustice will prevail. Chaos will continue. There's no sense or reason to the purpose. There's certainly no hope. Do you see why John is crying? He wept and he wept. Why? Because, you know, the, the church is trying to grow, but it's for nothing. Christians are trying to remain faithful in the workplace for nothing. Uh, people are making choices about whom they marry for nothing. They're trying to be godly in a world for no purpose. But, verse 5 and 6, and these are just beautiful, wonderful verses, aren't they? Yeah, they, they capture the heart of the book of Revelation. We're told, verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion, of the, li the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, that the lion of Judah and the root of David were both Old Testament titles for the Messiah, the Christ. So John is not to cry because the lion has triumphed. And he is worthy to open the scroll. But then, as John looks, he sees the Lion of Judah. But what does he see? This great conquering king, verse 6, Then I saw a lamb, looking as though it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into the world. And he went to look on the scroll. So he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. You see that the lion of Judah is worthy to bring about God's purposes, but he does so because and only because he's the slaughtered lamb. He's not seeing two separate, different figures here. The, the conquering lion is the, the, the lamb slain. 
the Messiah King, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ has won. He has triumphed. And there he is standing at the center of the throne of God. By the way, which is screaming that Jesus is God. But, um, but we'll leave that because the point is, is Jesus here is the one who can bring about God's purposes for him. See, that the, the cross uh, is a pivotal event in human history. It brings salvation to the world. And this man, this one, will bring about God's purposes. Uh, you'd excuse John, wouldn't you, if you continued crying? Because here is one who, who, who kind of now can weep for joy, not sadness or despair. Because there for all eternity, on the center of the throne of God stands the Lamb. And, and notice the response of heaven. It's not tears, but worship. Which brings me to my third point. Uh, God alone is worthy of our worship. Uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, and chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. Both chapters 4 and 5 end with worship of God because that is the right response to seeing the throne of God. Uh, chapter 4, God is worshipped rightly as creator. Uh, the four living creatures represent all created beings on earth. And, and they, they stand uh, up and as, they, as they surround God, they, they gaze upon God and they're singing verse 8. And thanking God and worshipping. Uh, look at verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God alone is worthy. He is the creator. And as the creator is worthy of all praise. But in chapter 5, the, 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 kind of the picture changes because he is not only worthy to, of our worship as creator, but as uh, our savior. Verse 2, they, uh, sorry, verse 9. Uh, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, there's this wonderful picture of God's salvation. God set, gets his glory as he should as both creator uh, but also savior. Uh, the one who will make a great and glorious people for himself. And this widens out verse 11. We read... Then I looked and I heard the, the voice of many angels numbered thousands upon thousands and ten thousand, time ten thousand, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them join in this glorious praise because of what God is doing. And look, when we, we gather together in, in praise, worship of Jesus Christ, as we lay our 
golden crowns of our lives as we live living sacrifices of Jesus Christ before God. We're joining in this song of heaven. We, uh, we, we can't hear it. It, it, like the dog whistle. We can't hear it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's, it is so encouraging and uplifting, isn't it, to think that when we sing, our voices are joined with this glorious company in the heavenly realms. And because God is gracious, we, we give him glory. And, and, and in the midst of a world that is in dismay and it is in fear, that seems chaotic and oppressive, our hearts are lifted to him. Why? Because he's in control. He's on his throne forever. We should worship him. Now look, I realize I've not answered the questions of, of why. Well, why God in this world, and we'll see that as we, as we go through the book of Revelation. We're gonna, it's going to help us understand why the world is as it is, but we begin by remembering that we live in a world where God is on the throne. He rules. He rules and will bring about his purposes for his glory for his people. So why keep going? Why, why, why keep pressing on in the Christian life each day? Why have boldness to live and to speak for what is right and true uh, of the things of God? Why, why, why tell your neighbors uh, about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why do that? Why do that when, when Satan whispers in your ear, where is your God? You can answer, can't you? He's in heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he will return in justice. He will bring about his purposes. Praise, glory to the Lamb who was slain. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we head into another working week, we, we pray that you would help us to remember that there is this throne with someone sitting on it. That we would remember everything and everyone's life should revolve around this throne and we wouldn't be distracted from worshipping you with all of our lives. Help us to delight in the Lord Jesus Christ that we would not grow weary from doing good, from serving him in obedience and love and devotion and joy. And so help fill our hearts with hope and joy that comes from knowing uh, your heavenly throne is seated upon for we ask this in your name amen